color of leadership. A seat at the table. Join Dr. Anthony Rice and his more than 20 years of education. Let's talk. Now. Now. This is The Color of Leadership. All righty. Welcome to another great episode of The Color of Leadership, where I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Rice, alongside my co-host, Dr. Angelique Butler. Um, before we cap off another great show, uh, we have an, another extraordinary guest with us tonight. Um, before I introduce him, again, I just want to buy, begin by addressing the audience, just to explain uh, why we created this platform. And why, for those out there listening, uh, we just want to give everybody an opportunity to just be enlightened. And it's just something for us so we, we can build our capacity as well. Um, again, but we established this, um, this platform so that we're able to have critical conversations with our guests and leaders and so that we can be able to demonstrate what they do in terms of their, their leadership and wherever platform that they're in at the, at the time and at the moment. But again, you know, this is a safe place. Um, again, we're, we're, we're where we don't and what we don't do on this um, podcast is we just want to be honest and we want to be upfront. And a lot of times we don't, um, you know, we don't specify districts. We don't talk about school districts. The only thing we want to do is just kind of build our capacity and just want to figure out what we can do as the people of color who can, you know, people of color so that we're able to kind of navigate this system and able to support each other uh, before. But last but not least, you know, I want to introduce our extraordinary guest with us tonight and it's Dr. Akalana Osanduike. How you doing, my man? Well, God bless you all. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, God bless I'm, you, I'm man. so honored. Thank you so much. Uh, now, you know, and I'm so glad, I'm glad, man, because, you know, I got a fellow, you know, bruh, you know what I mean? It's the first time I had a, a Q-Dog on the show with us. Yes, you know sir. what I mean? It's amazing. That, it's the purple. Oh, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, you know, got the purple. purple. <laughs> got the purple, rocking the purple. And so, you know, it, it, it's a pleasure and it, just to have you. Uh, I'm going to say Dr. O, you know what I mean? Because, yes, that's, sir. you know, that's, you know, that's how, you know, Dr. O and, you know, you are a doctor. And again, Dr. O, what we want to do is just try to get an opportunity just to understand you and just understand how you got into education. So just for this, just so that you can give our audience just an understanding of how you got into education just 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 give us our audience why why you picked education as a um as a as a work as where you wanted to work where you wanted to work in the workforce awesome I, I appreciate the question thank you so very much once again for the opportunity i'll start with the fact that through my k-12 experience i had two african-american educators i started my educational experience in the what I would call the suburbs of, of Pasadena as we were bused at least hmm, maybe 15 miles away from our home for the better part of most of my middle school and high school years as we were in the midst of integration, uh, you know, and, and, and trying to integrate, I guess you could say, those schools that were in Pasadena in the Sierra Madre area. So not only was I, in, I was in Pasadena, but I went to school in Sierra Madre. Got it. Make that make sense. Got it. <laughs> um, so having seen only, so I actually went to college with the idea in mind that I wanted to go into the medical profession, but my my um, proclivity to have been a, a, a latchkey kid locked in the house, my, my discipline wasn't there to, to finish those pursuits. So I said, the next best, best thing for me is going to be to get into to college and figure out what's the next move. And that move became education for me. So I decided to venture into education and literally brought probably a good 10, 10 bras with me that either subbed or brought themselves into the field, even if for just a short period of time to be able to give back to our young African-American um, constituents, cohorts, you know, colleagues throughout the cities that, that we were, just because I never, of the two that I had, the two Black teachers I had, only one was an African-American male. Wow. K-12. Man, that is, wow. So K-12. one African-American male, K-12. One. And so, that was the, so that's the conversation that we, I mean, because you, you and I, have, we talk about that a lot because in our profession, we don't see a lot of African-American men in our profession. And so for me, it's one of those um, things where I'm always like, well, why is that such a prevalent issue in our educational system when we're dealing, when we're dealing with students of color 
who are struggling academically and why is it that we don't see a lot of people of color like ourselves that they see us doing this work so that they can be so that they can see someone at least have some hope do you find what i'm saying on that one oh absolutely and that was the whole idea that really pushed myself and my wife into the educational field we've both been going at it for the same amount of time so i'm sure that she'd be glad to give her perspective at some point on this journey we recently just both finished our doctorates in religious studies as we're we I have about five years left in this field to, to give, and then I'm going to move on to the religious field and do ministry work. Um, my primary work will be in, in, in forgiveness and, and what it means to, to once again be made whole in your life. And so much of what I do even to this day in the education field is figuring out why our children are so broken and then leaving them with a, with a sense of healing and wholeness before uh, as much as I can give them with the time that I have and share with those thousands of kids that I have each day. Whoa. So Dr. O, ah. let, okay, so let's just go back real quick. Let's just go back. Cause I want to, okay. So I want to, I want to, I, I just want to hear about your journey too. So I want to know like you did, where, like you went from a teacher to, I mean, or, or, I mean, just kind of give us a little bit of a background about how, where you where you are in terms of your in terms of your leadership. So kind of yes. give us a background of that. Yes. So I came in to the educational arena, young, gifted and uh, dreadlock adorned black man uh, <laughs> about 28 years ago. Got it. Um, I came in thinking that I was going to change the world and make, you know, make it a different place. And I came in with the specific intent in mind to do it for black people. And I, I can't say that that that's always received well, but I did come in with that in mind. What I then over the course of the time that I've been in education, I've come to realize that I didn't come to change education. I came to change lives. Hmm. Wow. Wow. That's that's deep. I, I have a question for you. Yes. You mentioned you had two total African-American male teachers. No, two uh, total. One was African-American male. One was male, obviously the other female. Yes. What was your experience like with the one African-American male? Because sometimes it can be a good one, sometimes not so good, depending on how that person may think their role is to, to educate a young African-American male. So what was so amazing about that experience was that Mr. Lewis was an amazing man. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, it, it, I knew his mother was my preschool teacher because mm -hmm. Pasadena is a relatively small city. Mm -hmm. His mother was my preschool teacher at Hodges. She was the lead administrator. I guess you could call him principal at the preschool. Mm -hmm. So later on, I, I got to be taught by her son. And I, it was it was just an amazing experience. He was a a very astute, uh, regal man who who brought uh, presence and dynamism and charisma to the teaching profession uh, he left an, an indelible mark on, on my mind and my brain that when I think of education today, I think of the two of them, the three of them in total, mm -hmm. Mrs. Lewis, Mr. Lewis, and Mrs. Hammond was a math teacher. She was amazing as well. And, and she, was, she was cut from the cloth of old. Uh, she was very uh, proper and, and prim and, and, and just an amazing woman. Just, just amazing, just amazing. That's all I can say. Amazing people that truly impacted my life and have poured into me and made, and, and, and made a piece of who I am. They're, they're a part of the sauce. They're a part of the, the seasoning of who I am today. And, and that's what you talk about when you talk about why it's important, because that connectivity that you had early on clicked with you, you know, Absolutely. and that's why, you know, as, as he was mentioning, you know, when we look at males and you don't see when anybody like yourself, but when you do and they leave, as you said, that indelible mark, that's how Absolutely. educators yeah. become educators. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so Dr. O, my question, and this is, this is going to be a little deep one. So, because I mean, you know, as African-American men, um, we always have to fight through barriers and women as well. We always have to fight through barriers. But my question would be, do you think there's a stereotype out there about African-American African -American men in education that creates barriers for their upward mobility? Can you qualify a little bit more what you mean by stereotype? Um, because I think we've had a conversation about this before in terms of just our leadership style and how we lead. And do you think that that is something that creates barriers for people to move us forward because of some of the, the preconceived perceptions that they might have of us in terms of being in, in leadership roles? 
So here's where I guess I'll, I'll make my hard left turn um, <laughs> in, in trying to answer that question. I would like to take us on a little history lesson as we go back into the 60s and really think about how and why we are even in in the ranks of public education as a people. When we think about the testing that 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 African-American um, students received, that they outperformed all of their white counterparts in all areas. As a result, integration then was meant to shut down our communities, shut down our schools, shut down our businesses, and shut down everything that would make us truly be sovereign, whole, complete as a people. So when we come into their arena, I believe, yes, there are stereotypes, but it, it, it's almost as ingrained in the fabric that when you look at the quilt, if you look at the bedspread, it's hard to say that that's racism right there because it makes up a quilt. And the quilt is what we see. And we keep trying to function within the quilt thinking we're actually becoming part of the fiber of it when it was already established and made. We're just dancing around the top of it. And so when we come in, we, we have to think about the way that we're perceived. I walk on eggshells as an African-American administrator. I'm sure women walk on eggshells because I don't want to become too Black, too strong, uh, only perceived as being there for Black students. Um, yet, we then have to pull back. And so they never know where we are and they don't know how black we are and they don't know if we're liberal or conservative. They don't know if we're really black or willing to play the game. And so there's a lot that I, you know, I don't want to go too far and I love, you know, I, I love the banter. So I'm going to pause there just to kind of let you digest <laughs> and throw another question at me. <laughs> Man, you threw you didn't make a left turn. You man, you you ran into the wall on that one. No, I, he man, said hard left. He said yeah, hard but can, left. But I can, but I can appreciate right. that though, because that's I mean, that's the God honest truth. You know what I mean? Because Dr. O, this, these are the reason why we have these type of conversations, because a lot of times people don't want to have this conversation. Yes. And they don't and they don't want to put it out there about what it really looks like for us because nobody really wants to hear what it looks like for us. And a lot of times going through these, going, going through you know, going through our trials and tribulations as leaders, you know, a lot of times, and I, and I continue to keep saying that there's no real forgiveness. I mean, there's no, there's not real forgiveness. Right. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we can always, you know, we can always put ourselves in position to elevate, but one mistake made, it's a done deal. You know what yes. I mean? And it's a yes. one mistake made, it's a done deal. And, and, yes. and it'd be, and then it'd be rough trying to get ourselves back in that, unless we have, unless we have, that mentorship or somebody who's going to say, you know what, that, that, that person, I'm going to advocate for him because if we don't have advocacy in the same, in the same token, a lot of times we'll be stuck in the same position. Absolutely. You know I'd like to go back and kind of just touch on the story as I kind of finished rolling out my years. So I did 13 years of elementary education and the rest of my time has been in secondary administration. So I've done middle school uh, administrator to a middle school assistant principal to uh, two different high school assistant principals to a middle school principal for a seven year stretch, at which time you, you begin to feel like you, you have some onus and you have some skills in the game within the community and within the school district. And then you try to, you know, share with the uh, upper level ranking management of the district. And you want to you want to begin to then speak truth to power. And at the point you then speak truth to power, you in essence hear the proverbial toilet flush. <laughs> and you begin to circle the toilet, excuse the metaphor, but nah, I was a floater and you, you begin to figure out, OK, do I want to stay? What I can say about that time going through that experience, I don't know that I would fight it in the way that I did. What I've noticed with our counterparts in education, as they find out that something's going wrong, they jump ship quick. We tend to like to fight. And we fight at the expense of our own, ourself, our image, our, you know, what it looks like to have fought and thinking about the civil rights. And we're trying to fight for the rights of what it looks like to black people. But they, we never get that story out there because we're then in the midst of the lawsuit. We're then trying to make sure we can take care of our families. And it just takes so much out of you. And I went back into the classroom for an entire year at an approximately 
20, $30,000, $40,000 loss of salary for an entire year that I had to sit there. I went in as a coach, uh, was never offered another opportunity to return to the uh, um, assistant principal rank to, okay, slap me on the hand. You know, what did I do? Give me some time to get it together, come back. No, I was put back in the classroom. And at that point, uh, you know, I went into a litigation. I eventually left the district to, to be where I'm at now. I'm four years as an AP. And, you know, if anybody is in the process or position of, of feeling like you're in that position, once you get the, the, the red flag and, and, and the flag is raised that it's time for you to go, go with their blessing as opposed to leaving with a win. Yeah, Hopefully that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Okay. Is, is, is that the reason I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in real quick? Is that the reason you say that when you fought as you began to see the toilet flush? You say you fought, you're not really sure what you would go down that avenue again? I'm not absolutely not sure that I'd go down that avenue again. It, uh, it it leaves a lot of resentment and bitterness. Of course, as you opened up, Dr. Rice, the idea of forgiveness, I had to come to terms with forgiveness very quick. I can go back to the to the district. I can embrace everybody in the district and understand that it's part of the machinery. It is working yeah. exactly as it was designed to work. And it is working in such a way that it is never going to be necessarily inclusive of, of the things that we need to do to effectively change education to truly close the achievement gap for African-American students. Wow. So and I, I have more, but I'm 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 just going, I'm I'm just unrolling it nice yeah, and slow. You, 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 I, I'm, 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 nice I'm putting slow. a good root together for y'all. <laughs> root. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Doctor, I mean, my and, and once we're because we're talking about barriers, all right. So, what do you think? Uh, what is something that you can kind of you know give our audience in terms of some some for people of color? What can we do to eliminate uh, some of these barriers and boundaries that hold us back? That you feel like that hold us back. I definitely believe that um, the biggest obstacle within the ranks of most of the public uh, school districts is the lack of capacity, capacity to adequately recruit, mentor, develop, guide, and lead African-American administrators, male or female, hands down. So one of the things that I would do is, is create a, a, a department even or a person that would be in the district that would specifically be there to work with the respective races, whether they're Asian, whether they're Latino, whether they're African-American, mm -hmm. people are going to, and, and these people need to be administrators, have been administrators within the district for a length of time, because with that experience will come the ability to be able to connect them with the appropriate people, be able to talk the politics of the city, the community and the district and help them best navigate uh, what it, and who it is that we are as African-American administrators. One of the barriers is, is often found in the idea of, of the difference between what it means to be a manager versus what it means to be a leader. And so that's also a barrier. And I believe that also can be trained, taught or mentored into you. How is it that you become a leader of people and not a manager of data and a manager of staff and a manager of parents? And I think those things have to be navigated very wisely. And in doing so, I think we can begin to see some change uh, affected within the educational arena there's there's one more left turn i got to make before we get out of here right, but ahead, that, i, I need i need to turn. load that part up first so that that we understand that that professional development person so my dream job at the place that i'm at in my career would be to uh train admin designees and possibly first and second year administrators within the district whichever district it is. And it could be within localized districts or it could be throughout the county, however that would work. But each district would need to have their own person that reflects and represents somebody that they're comfortable with. Right. Eventually the quality will speak louder than the color 
But whether it be African-American, Latino, Asian, you know, whatever, Native American, however you want to look at that, the quality of how you train will be the blessing ultimately to them. But if they don't see themselves, they can initially at least say, I'm going to this person because they're designed and they look like and and they know the ropes. They know the things that I need to know to help me be successful as an administrative designee, as a first year principal, second year principal, assistant principal, all the above. And so I believe that might be the best way to move forward where we are today. Wow. Question. I have a question. Another question. So you mentioned. you see, I'm listening intently here. You yes. say a manager, because it's deep. You know, you, you say a manager of people versus a leader. Um, can you kind of expound on that a little bit for someone who's listening, who's saying, look, I want to get into the role. Give me a little more specifics about how you can teach someone to be a man, you know, a leader versus a manager of people. Absolutely. As African-American leaders, we don't have the luxury of of just climbing the ranks because invariably we hit an invisible ceiling. And so at each level, we have to we have to bring our dignity with us. We have to bring ourselves to 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 the to work every day. And as we bring ourselves to work, we then understand that we are there to be the lead leader not just manage those people. So when I say that we're leading, when I got into educational leadership, I believe that those teachers are my classroom. And if those teachers are my classroom, I need to be there to support them. I just need my door open and an opportunity for me to be able to serve you. I'm not barking at you orders of what it is you need to do and how you need to accomplish it. I'm not telling you it's just about data. I'm not telling you it's just about socio-emotional learning. I'm not just telling you it's about discipline. I'm not Mm -hmm. just telling you it's about curriculum. How do you bring yourself to this job so that you can be as whole as you can be so that you can make whole students that are going to go out and impact and change the world as lifelong learners in this field that we're in. Wow. Good point. That's the, that's a good point. You have to, you have to be whole as a person to develop whole people, obviously. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense, but I've been contemplating this question and and this is a question that, you know, for me, I kind of, I, you know, I, I, I'm gonna ask it because I want to kind of get an understanding of what you think. I kind of I know what I think. I'll tell you. I'll tell you when you once you once you answer. But yes, um, I mean, do you feel that African American men or women um, put themselves in um, stereotypical situations? In other words, put them put their put themselves in situations that those stereotypes are justified, or um, or it could be it could be perceived as justified. Um, and my thing is, how can we how, how do we avoid that? Great question. Um, I don't believe we go in with the intent to do things uh, to make them look stereotypical. I think we go in trying to serve the needs of the communities that we have chosen to go serve in, whether they're whether they're predominantly Latino and only a small percentage of African-American, white and other. Whatever community we go in, we 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 serve with the idea in mind that we want to once again bring our whole selves to the job and do the best service we can for that community. So we don't in any way, I believe, try to be self-serving. However, the problem comes in when you tell me that the most underserved population are the African-American students. And then when I go to do something about it, you now tell me I'm being racist or I'm only uh, specifying um, services to those African-American students. So therein lies the rub and therein lies the conflict within education because the predominantly white uh, field educational arena those people that I serve now are going to be like, well, you can't only do that for black people. They're only 12% of the population. Why would you be spending all of your time focusing? So now it feels as though I'm being, I'm stereotyping and I'm prejudging and I'm isolating and handpicking services only for African-American students, even though everything in the educational arena would tell me that is what I am supposed to be doing. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. And so sometimes what ends up happening 
is the person who's trying to walk the fine line and feed the family and everything else. Sometimes you, you know, you, 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 you deep down, you kind of think, no, if I say this or I do this, I'm going to be perceived as, yes. and that's rough. That's real rough, particularly when you're the principal, particularly yes. when you're the assistant principal, you have an agenda, you know, and that's, that's real difficult. For, 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 like you said, even though the data and everything else shows that this is what we should be doing, finding a good, I, I don't know what other word to use other than balance. Yes. Um, to where you can do some things, but you don't do too much because you don't want to come off looking some way is just tough. It's really tough. So here's where the idea of leadership now comes in okay. because with your leadership skills, it is your job to motivate, to educate, mm. to show by way of the data, the actual needs so that you can transition the minds of the team, those, mm. the staff, right. for them to understand why it is that we need to do what it is that we need to do. But if I'm only going to manage numbers and I only am looking to climb the corporate ladder, I'm, I'm only going to do enough to make myself look good as a manager mm -hmm. to move up the ranks, or I'm going to be a leader and it is going to require me to have to put my, my neck on the line mm -hmm. at the expense of it possibly being slapped or chopped off. Yeah. Absolutely. And changing mindsets. Oh my goodness. I can't even begin to say what a struggle that is. Yeah. Yes. What a yes. struggle that is to change a mindset that, that's been there for over 400 years, right? Yes. And so that's where I, you know, I, I alluded to earlier, this whole idea of it, it being woven into the fabric. Mm -hmm. Are we really making a dent in the overall system? And think about how many times we are proverbially, proverbially flushed and move from district to district to district to district mm -hmm. to only try to replicate. We, we don't ever get any real legs under the fight be before we're moved to another district in which we know very little of the culture. We know very little of the politics. We know very little of the community. And as a person, you can go in and connect. But once again, will you affect the change necessary? And then while your staff is learning you, how long does that take right. um, as you're going in and trying to acclimate yourself to anywhere from 53 staff members to upwards of 170, depending on whether yeah. you're middle or high school, right. uh, you know, respectively, as you, you, you learn who your staff is, if you don't know, once again, how to uh, navigate through all of the classrooms on a regular basis. Um, I, I often, as an administrator, when I before pre pre COVID, I would go through every class every Friday, starting in the morning, and shake every teacher's hand just to yeah. say thank you for your service for the day. Have a great weekend. It could be eight o'clock on, on, and I'm already telling them have a great weekend just yeah. in case I don't see you before the day is over. Thank you for everything that you do. Have a great day. Shake their hand in some cases, hug in some, in, in some other cases. Right. But I began to make those connections and, yeah. and it, it, it really entrenches you in the community. And when the time comes, they, they, will, they, they know that they have your, your heart and, and your ear and they begin to open up. And that is where you connect on a personal level, now it's easier to connect with them on a academic or educational level yeah. and begin the shift and change of mind because yeah. they begin to see your, your heart is pure and your motives are pure. You know, and I, you know, I kind of want to go back, Dr. O, because you had said something about in terms of just that moving, how we have to kind of move around to, you know, just for that upper mobility. And a lot of times when that happens, because we have to come back and, and get reacclimated to a different culture, you know, sometimes I think you lose that confidence, you know what I mean? And I think that confidence that we had in terms of just being that leader, and when we kind of move into us, you know, to another situation to where we're not familiar with, it, it, it does something to our confidence, you know what I mean? It oh, does something to our absolutely. confidence. And it almost breaks break us kind spirit. of. It can yeah, break spirit. Break, you know what I mean? That's exactly why I alluded to the fact earlier that I don't know that I'd, I'd fight it the same way had, had I to do it over. Yeah. The district that I left, I had dreams of retiring from that district yeah. with all of the relationships that I had developed over 24 years. Yeah. And you, you the, their babies were coming back to my schools. Absolutely. Yeah. The students that I actually taught in elementary school, their children 
were now in the schools that I taught in. And it, it, nothing feels better than to have that sense of community and connection. And they yell at you from across the street and yell at you, yeah. you know, wherever they blow their horns, they jump out right. their cars, they run up and hug you. Right. Nothing feels better than that. And to have that taken from you, it's like I said, those are untangible things that aren't spoken of, but those are losses. Those are parts of your heart that, that have been broken, stolen, lost. And, 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 and it just hurts. But yeah. then you, 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 as you said, you try to regain your confidence, you forgive and you move on. And one of the things that I'll, I'll put a period here is that my goal as, as this was going on was to not poison the well of the places that I went to or the, 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 the people that I would meet beyond that experience. Yeah. I didn't want to poison them, bring bitterness, hate, anger, you, you know, resentment with me. Yeah. I wanted to be me and I wanted to continue to be the shining light, the beacon of light of hope in, in the communities, in the, in the school buildings, in the classrooms that I entered as yeah. I continue to do every day. You, you know what, I, I, I mean, again, because you, you, there are certain things that you're saying that just, they resonate with me. Uh, I feel you, uh, I feel it in your heart. I feel it in your spirit, but there was something you mentioned and you said, you know, you got about five more years and, you know, uh, part of your work um, is going to be about forgiveness. How are you going to trend? You know, what, what, I'm sure you have some of this in mind of, you know, you're leaving education. You're going to, you know, you're going to get into ministry explain how you're going to utilize, obviously, leverage kind of what you do, I would say, as a minister into education, you know, this forgiveness. It works every single day. So I'll give you a prime example. I had a student who um, was caught with a uh, unacceptable (laughs) device at school. they had to be uh, disciplined. In the process, though, my, my journey was, okay, I know why you're in my office and I know why you're being disciplined, but what's really going on? So after we put all the papers to the side, I come from around my desk. I sit across from the student. I look them in the eye and I said, tell me what's going on. Why are you, why are you doing this at school? And the person said that they were depressed and anxious all the time. Mm-hmm. I called the mother. The mother came in. I left the student outside. I spoke with the mother. The mother began to cry as I told the mother that this is not about why she's being, why this person is being disciplined. It's right. trying to get under it and figure out the root of why. In the process of having that conversation, I invited the student back into my office and I I encroached upon the daughter and asked her to tell the mother why she feels the way she feels. And she's held on to this depression and anxiety for approximately five years. And she was able to share that she felt abandoned And the mother abandoned her for a a boyfriend. And she said she was never right after that. She she left her for four hours by herself as a child in the house by herself. And she said, ever since then, I couldn't trust anybody. I didn't trust you. You left me. You left me. And and so we we all sat down and cried. Um, Then... I, you know, got the box of tissue out. I asked mom to ask her for forgiveness. I asked the daughter, would she forgive her? They both said, yes. We all hugged. We all cried. I sent her home with a box of tissue, told them to go home, take them eyelashes off (laughs) and get that mascara off the bottom of your face. And let's, and and let's get this healing done. And I'll see you on the other side of the new year. When you return your mind for a few weeks. And so we're going to finish closing up that wound that I opened up between her and her mother. And so that healing journey works every day as we talk about restorative practices and taking the time that it takes to restore the hearts, minds and lives of the babies that come before us. Because if we can't get to that, we can never, ever, ever 
teach them because they can't get past the problems that they brought from home. And you know, it's so dope, man, because I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this. And a lot of times as, as men administrators, um, you know, because, you know, there, there's so many things that so many functions that go on throughout your day. And so you, you know, you're, 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 you're putting out fires on a constant basis. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what, what I'm hearing from you, Dr. O, is that again, that leadership quality of just knowing your knowing the people that you're dealing with is an attribute that we have that again, again, some people tap into it. Some people tap into it, but some people don't, you know what I mean? Because sometimes people that, that, that type of, that type of leadership style can be very, um, can be very, can be very, um, I want to say, uh, uh, because people can be afraid of that. Mm-hmm. People can be afraid of that. You Intimidated. I mean? Yes, intimidation. You know what I mean? Because they're like, man, how does he get to? How does how do he, how does he get to 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 talk to that kid and reject, build that relationship with those students? And, and I'm having such a hard time doing it because I think a lot of times when we come into this to this to this business and to this profession, it's all about okay, boom. I'm just gonna, you know, it's all about I'm just gonna dot my eyes and cross my t's man sometimes it's more three days that. here for, yeah. yeah you know what i mean it's more three days that. That's what the, yeah. exactly it's more mm-hmm. to it and it's more so about building that relationship and getting to know kids man and, and a lot of times and i and i and i've seen you know i've seen you work dr o and i see that you don't have to, you don't have a lot of issues with kids and the reason why you don't have issues with kids is because you know them and yes. they know you you know what i mean and that's huge and and again that's why it's 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 kind of it's kind of discouraging for me especially as an african-american man to not see a lot of us and and, and a lot of us and pour and pour into our young men so that we're able to give them the guidance so that they can get into this they can get into this work because again you know we need them you know what i mean we need them you know what i mean and a lot of times they don't think that they're capable of even doing this work because they see us when they come into education, it's all disciplinary for them. It's all about discipline. You know what I mean? Either a lot of times they're getting disciplined or a lot of times they're getting sent home or a lot of times they're getting a call home. A lot of times it's like, hey, man, come pick this kid up. I can't control this kid. And again, going into, say, for instance, I'm looking at, you know, now the, the, the you know, the arena that I'm in, I see a lot of young little boys, black boys, and I see it everywhere. I see it across the globe. A lot of times these young men are getting put into you know, special ed for behavior thing issues. Yes. And, yes. I, and I, and I, and I can, and I can resonate with that because mm-hmm. that was something that happened to me as a kid. You know what I mean? I was, I had behavior issues and, I, and the first thing that they can identify with is, man, we need to get this to this dude assessed because he ain't, his behavior <laughs> is not allowing him to be able to focus academically in my classroom and I'm not, I'm not going to babysit him and I'm not going to encourage him to do better. Absolutely. So a lot of times when we see that, you know, it's discouraging, especially when we don't see a lot of African-American men doing this work. And a lot of times when we do see them doing that work and, and they're not really, and they see us doing our work. Yes. I would say that um, we don't get the same, um, we don't get the same that we don't get that love back a lot of times, man, from, from our own peers. Yes, absolutely. Um, Just, I want to close, put a a close on that last story. I told that that was not an African-American student and parent. I just want to make sure that that's clear. I I, I make sure I invest in whoever's in my office. When I see pain, I go after it. Got it. You know, and, and part of what it is that I'm able to do. So here as a response to your last statement, I knew who I was since I was in my 20s. And so knowing who you are, healed and whole, if if the person that is not giving you your comeuppance and your props is because they don't want to do the work to become healed and whole themselves. And that goes for everyone in our race. We're challenged by the fact that somebody is able to make those connections and make those relational jumps and yeah. we're often intimidated. We're often, why does, why can they do this and I can't? And, and I go back to just once again, this whole idea of being made whole. Do you want to be made, made well? Do you want to be made whole? And forgiveness is the key. So going back mm-hmm. and doing exactly what I did in that small 15 minute window with that young lady and her mother was the nexus of change that may change the trajectory of her entire life and make her whole enough to be able to make it back and remember that one 15 minute session she had with Dr. O in his office with her mom and it may change the entire world. 
Yeah. So, so Dr. O, and I know because Dr. Um, Dr. Butler said, you know, she, she made reference to you um, going into ministry. And I know that that's something that you're very passionate about. Um, but, you know, it, to me, it seems like there's a lot of African-American men who, who start off in education, right? And who, who start off, but, you know, then they kind of go off into something different that they're very passionate about. You know I mean? Not saying that you're not passionate about education. I, and I understand your, I mean, I think you have a calling and you know, when God tells you to do something different, you got to do what God tells you. And I truly yes. believe that, you know what I mean? So yes. tell, can you kind of give me an understanding? Tell me, what would you think that, what, what is some of the things that, and I know we kind of shared that, but give me some, some little bit more of why you think a lot of our, our African-American men are leaving this profession. As I as I was alluding to when, when when we started, I think the idea that you come in believing that you can affect change, and that change is ever elusive, and the power that you think you have you don't truly have, and then that's bristled and brushed against even in the classroom as a teacher, and the brush becomes a little more coarse as you begin to climb the ranks uh, of leadership to to site leadership to department lead to administrative lead to administration and and at some point it it begins to take so much out of you you begin to say that that lemon is no longer worth the squeeze and you decide to bow out so i want to leave us with one major thing this is the hard left i'm gonna make again the biggest issue that we as african-american people face is the fact that we don't have sovereign communities that mirror society by a sovereign community. When you think from New York to California, we don't have one community that has these nine things that I'm going to mention. They control the commerce in the city. They control the politics. They're the mayors, the assembly people, all of that. Next is the police and, and judges in the form of politics. So justice, I'm sorry. So you have commerce, politics, justice, education, and media, coupled with these four things. There must be a Black-owned bank, a Black-owned grocery store, a Black-owned hospital, and a Black school in the city that's by and for Black people, outside of what we would call the public institution. If we had a city Think of, can you think of, we, we, we got a Martin Luther King Boulevard right. and we got a, a, a Malcolm X Boulevard. We got an Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard. We have streets, but we don't have a community that we control from commerce to media that has those four things in it anywhere. You have little China, you have little Saigon, you have little Korea, you have little Vietnam, you have little Italy, you have little Armenia, you have little Iran. These places have businesses, they have banks, they have commerce, they have hospitals, everything that we're talking about. Think about Westwood as an example. There's a community that fits those particular, the Jewish community in that immediate area, and it speaks directly to them. The cities that we had. It, it, of the likes of a Rosewood or a, a uh, Black Wall Street, Greenwood, Archer and Pine, those areas, when those existed, they were torn down. And so when I go back to where we started in the 60s, when they began to decimate those communities, those communities are what is missing in this equation. Within that equation that I present to you of having an actual real community, it first must be legislated, then we'd have to talk about reparations, which nobody wants to touch with a 10-foot pole, re- uh, re- uh, reparations in the form of resources, monetary, or land. And then finally, the cities to come in that order. Legislate that you won't tear it up, give the reparations to, to build it, and then build the city. And once those cities are done, we'd then be able to define culture, commerce, politics, relationships, everything that we call culture would be able to uh, be be centered and centralized around those communities where there might be 65% or more population in any given city of African-American people that needs to then be put in place. But it first must be legislated. Then once again, 
repaired through reparations and then establish those cities. And I'm not only speaking, you know, we have uh, Brother Joey on the line as well. And and anybody whose communities needs to be represented, they have theirs. Where's ours? And until we have ours, we're going to continue to try to fight within their system and their structure, trying to repair something that in their minds does not need repair. So why don't we have our own so that we can basically, as uh, the the Nation of Islam would like to say, I'm not going to describe your glass of water. I'm just going to put my clean glass of water next to it and let you see the impurities in yours. Wow. Oh, wow. All right. I think the legislative piece is obviously the initial piece, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. But they but there's there's also an educational piece that the grassroots needs to have. Dr. O and Dr. Rice and Dr. Butler and and, and, and Dr. Joey as well, or everybody. Yeah. It doesn't need to be in the upper echelons. It needs to be on the streets. It needs to almost be a, a manifesto of sorts that yeah. the that the person in K-12 understands, that the person in the community that that dropped out of high school needs to understand and have. So when it comes time to vote again, next time we're already on, this is what we need. We need legislation, we need reparations, and we need our cities. If you're not talking about this, miss me with the idea of me giving you my vote without you presenting what you're giving to me. Got it. Wow. So, Doctor, just, just uh, so this is where we're going to end on this question, man. And yes. this, this is where we're going to end on this. And 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 I and I kind of just want you to kind of think about this. Like, say, for instance, you see a, a young young teacher, male, and so you know, you know, you see, and I know you talk about mentorship a lot. So, what advice would you give that young man or woman uh, who desires to advance in educational leadership? At this point, as I, I talked about the development of a community. At some point, one of our upcoming generations is going to have to make the sacrifice and stick their hand in the ground and start a school that is going to be supported possibly by the school district that they live or work in. And it it would have to meet the whatever expectations the county or the school district had. But we have to have that school for our students. That being said, I would encourage them to understand that if they could be in that pool swimming, they could probably swim for the remainder of their career in that pool because it's doing something that they love for kids that they love, for a community that they love. They could do it for the rest of their lives and never want to aspire to higher levels of of education. But those that do within that would see the need to say, okay, I'm ready to expand this school within our community We may have another offshoot of the Marcus Garvey Academy or another offshoot of the Malcolm X Academy. And there may be a North uh, version and a South version of those two schools that will be able to more meet the needs. And as they were coming into this profession, I would I would definitely feed them with the idea of 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 the sky is the limit and whatever you can think of. project-based learning, the idea behind kids in the elementary level creating business models to be able to now take those business models. I want to take this this candy stand, this lemonade stand, this uh, video game stand into whatever it becomes by the time I graduate high school and know that by a year after I leave uh, high school, I'm going to present my business plan to that Black-owned bank And I'm going to have enough money to be able to start a business within the community because there is a need for it. Everything feeds everything. And so until we have those things put in place, we're going to continue to spin our wheels. If we had to stay in this current situation, in this paradigm, then then I I would definitely share with them that this is a a, a young person's game, male or female. You've got about a good 20 years to run. And then you're going to have to make a decision if this is going to be the race that you want to continue uh, for the rest of your life and figure out what your next foray and how you're going to make change and impact in the world so that you don't completely lose yourself. This is what we've come to. And this is what America has brought us to, to where they I, I can't say they care less, but at some point you're obviously not caring about the socio-emotional mental health of, of us as African-American people. If we burn out, oh, well, we, we gave them access. We gave them opportunity. It's not our fault. 
and they, we burnt them out. We, we choked them out. We killed them. So they're no longer here. Not our fault. We've done everything we could. And so I would encourage them. I would mentor them. I would lead them because we're still going to need the credibility, reliability of knowing that they're able to come to work. They're able to lead a public school, sit in the chair. I've mentored uh, two people that are currently in my current district that are, have recently been promoted. And as they go into these positions, uh, I've already, you know, talked about them aspiring to, to continue to climb the ranks. I continue to feed them the things that they need to know that somebody has to continue to carry the mantle. We, we can't let it fall. Exactly. We cannot. We've got too yeah. much to lose. And so wow. while we're carrying the mantle in the public sp- sector, we need to figure out how we're going to balance that with the other train track and create a public and private black owned black community sector so that the train can travel straight. All right. That's why so recruitment doc- is real important. Yeah. yeah yes. Important. So, Doctor O, before we close, I mean, I always give my my um, participants an opportunity to um, just say a shout out. If you got a shout out, you want to shout out to anyone. You might want to be able to shout out to your family. Oh, I uh, shout out the world. I start yeah, with my my wife yeah, who yeah. who continues to support all of my madness and craziness and my my crazy ways of thinking. I shout out my bishop, uh, Bishop Jelani Kafela of Imani uh, Christian Cathedral at the center currently in San. Bernardino, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my children, all of my family and friends, and all of those who continue to love on me in spite of my shortcomings, in in spite of my my differences, in spite of the fact that we don't always agree on everything, um, they continue to love me as much as I love them. And And I thank you once again, all of you on this line and on this call this evening for the opportunity to share me with you as you can see i wear my my myself on my my, my heart on my shoulder yeah. and i hope it comes through this evening and in everything that i've done and said and i thank you once again for the opportunity man. i thank you and give you all a shout out and hope this podcast blows up man you are you, humble Dr. you are forgiving man. you are passionate you are yeah. you are a leader yeah we appreciate that dr Owen. so again before we close out i want to thank our audience for another for tuning into another episode of the color of leadership again with our special guest dr o i want to say thank you man you are man you are amazing so again i want to thank dr butler again uh our producer q again to our audience tune in to the color of leadership this hopefully hopefully this will blow up and give everybody an opportunity to give them a perspective and an understanding of how we navigate this system as the people of color so thank you have a good one thank you